0: Remember, if you're having a meeting only because it's on your calendar, it's probably going to be a waste of time. Think about canceling it if that's the case. And I would think about canceling the meeting if you don't get pre-read materials ahead of time. You know, discipline's a good thing, and if you can have a good meeting, you'll all be a whole lot better off.
1: Welcome to another episode of our continuous improvement podcasts. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. Our purpose is to provide current and future C-suite leaders, the mindset, skill set and tool set to become leaders of continuous performance improvement. Today's topic is headlined. The quality and quantity of your meetings dictates the culture and results of your organization. First, let's look at the data. What's the problem? And then we'll look at some of the solutions. According to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, we average 62 meetings per month. Mid-level management will spend up to 35% of their time in meetings. And those higher up could be 50% or greater. Think about that. And I know some organizations actually that that's higher than that. These are averages. But that could be two or two and a half days a week spent in meetings. And the other piece of glaring research, 37% of those meetings are considered to add no value. So. How do we make our meetings add value and help dictate a strong culture and high-performance organization? I love the research that Google did called Project Aristotle. And you've probably seen it published and talked about. And they tried to determine what makes the best teams, best decision making, best culture, and best leadership. And out of Project Aristotle, and I quote, in the best teams, members listen to one another and show sensitivity to feelings and needs. They find ways to build trust. They listen first. They show empathy. They're authentic. They set an example. They're helpful. They learn how to disagree and commit, be humble, be transparent, and commend sincerely and specifically. Let me illustrate the importance of what Project Aristotle found in a story, and I'm going to call this Bob and Gina, This was a team building exercise called Arctic survival. You remember, these were very popular several years ago where you had a little uh, exercise where first of all, you rank ordered 15 things. You were were given a scenario and said, you just crashed your airplane in the Arctic. And as a team of six, you read this, uh, the background and the history and how you got. And then you had 15 items that you uh, survived with. And the objective was to survive and you were to rank order these 15 items, which would be most helpful. Number one was most helpful to survive to least helpful. Number 15. The interesting part of this exercise is that the first time through you did it as an individual without looking, without collaboration, without talking. You read the scenario and you rank ordered these 15 items. Then the second time through, you did it as a team, usually in teams of six, seven or eight, fairly small teams. And you sat down and then re ranked them uh, according to uh, the priorities the team and the team dynamic came up with. Well, this is where it got interesting with Bob and Gina. Bob was the vice president of the organization, a very uh, confident, articulate, assertive man, and Gina was the executive assist, his executive assistant. Well, as we went through the team exercise, Uh, Because Bob was so assertive and uh, because of his position and confidence uh, that he moved the team towards his individual uh, rank priorities and scores. The only problem with that is once the experts stood in and told us the right answers, we found that uh, Bob caused the whole team to die in the Arctic. He was absolutely wrong and made the worst possible decisions, but, but because he was confident, assertive, Um, he uh, moved the team towards his his scores. And as you guessed, Gina, the executive assistant, had the best individual scores, but in the team dynamic, she and others acquiesced to the strongest voice in the room. So let me go back to Google's research and read that again from Project Aristotle. The best teams and the best decision-making, what do they do? Members listen to one another, show sensitivity to feelings and needs. They find ways to build trust through listening, empathy, being authentic, setting an example, being helpful, learning how to disagree, commit, being humble, transparent, and commending each other sincerely and specifically. When RLG goes into organizations, one of the first things we look at is effective meeting structure. We call those meetings and those interactions the operating rhythm or the drumbeat of the organization. Most often times we find that the total operating rhythm is near a 30% effectiveness level. And by improving the quality of their meeting discussions and structure, we can improve it to 80% effectiveness. This process alone can improve performance dramatically. I've invited some special guests from industry and RLG to join me on this topic. First, I'd like to welcome Kevin Brown to the podcast. Kevin, welcome. How are you today and where
0: are you today? Thanks, Rick, for, uh, for asking. Uh, we're doing really well. Uh, I'm actually in Park City today. I uh, flew in last night from Houston, so uh, getting things back together for a great summer.
1: Great. Welcome. Um, Kevin is a former executive with Sinclair Oil Corporation in Lined Elvisel Industries. He is a current RLG Executive Advisory Council member. Graduate of the University of Arkansas, and him and his lovely wife, Marie, are involved in many charities across the Southwest. They live in Houston, Texas, and as he's just mentioned, in Park City, Utah. So, Kevin, I've asked you to join this part of the podcast because you are well known for having effective and well-prepared meetings. And let me just, to get us started, why are good meetings so important to you?
0: Well, one of the things that I found was that uh, my most precious commodity uh, as an executive and as a leader was time. Uh, And let's face it, employees for most companies are busy as well. And poorly executed or or planned meetings waste everybody's time. Effective meetings can save time by uh, completing it in the least amount of time possible that's required to meet whatever your objective is for the meeting.
1: Yeah, well said. Time is the precious commodity. So, Kevin, what are your keys to effective meetings?
0: Well, I've already given you a little bit of a hint. Uh, I have an objective, uh, both purpose and outcome uh, in mind for a meeting. One can think of meetings in kind of three broad categories, recognition, communication, and decision-making. And desired outcomes should be defined as well. What's the end result we're seeking? Is it something like an approval? Or is it identifying challenges that need to be addressed, and who's going to address those? Finally, have good action lists at the end of the meeting, and make sure that they're clearly summarized and communicated to all uh, affected parties. Another key to an effective meeting is absolute honesty. If you have less than honest or accurate information being communicated in the meeting, Bad decisions are going to get made, and that's going to waste even more time and resources and money, by the way. Yeah. Finally, uh, preparedness, or next I would say preparedness by all attendees is important. Get the pre-read materials in the hands of attendees at least one day in advance. Read the material before walking in the door to the meeting. Try to set the expectation that the meeting can start with a simple, are there any questions? If you're getting your pre-read done, you'll be a more effective uh, participant as well. And then finally, most meetings should be less than an hour. If you get really good at doing your pre-read and objective setting, 30 minutes will seem like you've scheduled too much time. Think of the time savings that represents. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? So, Kevin, let me uh, go back on a couple of those
1: points because I think you, uh, I remember, on preparedness, you were a stickler for that and the importance of getting those pre-reads out. But you also bring up a really good point in there, too, about honesty. What? How do you try to encourage that? Because as we know, uh, bad news doesn't flow up very easily uh, for whatever reason in most companies. Is there a, a tip, a technique, or how you try to encourage absolute honesty because I think you're absolutely like right. that's critical and executives don't get enough of it how do you encourage that
0: well I I, I tend to uh, when I was in the role compliment people for being honest mm-hmm. when they were delivering bad news and then we would deal with what the bad news was now if, if an employee has significant enough bad news or you know, re- repeated bad news that they're not just getting over the hump. Uh, usually, that doesn't end well for the employee. But I think if you have a level of trust with your employees, uh, the great majority of them are, are going to feel like you're you're reciprocating that honesty with them. And so I think it's it's really not uh, any more difficult than treat your employee like you would want to be treated. Um, I'd also have conversations. <laughs> Okay. With every employee that worked directly for me. And I gave them my definition of honesty. And it was, if you don't tell me something that I would want to know or should know, then you've been dishonest with me. Mm-hmm. By the same token, unless it's a, a, you know, a, a corporate secret or uh, a personnel matter not involving you, if I don't share that information with you, I've been dishonest with you. And so I try to, to, to approach employees with that mindset.
1: Oh, that's great. Thank you for those insights, both on, both on the compliment side, trust side, and, and clear expectations about what honesty really means. Okay, let me jump into a specific, because uh, I know uh, I want you to comment on RLG's boardwalk process. And for the listeners, this is the visual management performance discussions that connect the front line to senior management. And Kevin, I know you attended several boardwalks in preparation for turnarounds and capital projects. And can you talk about how this 20-minute stand-up meeting, why you liked it, and, and why it helped as a, a touring executive?
0: Yeah, well, I talked I talked a little bit before about uh, purposes for meetings. And mm-hmm. I think these meetings had uh, several purposes in mind that, that actually uh, were all handled very effectively. Uh, I think they've combined... Uh, employee recognition, yep. where the employees get a chance to tell their story on the project, and uh, it's a chance for you to say as an executive, thank you, or it's a chance to say, you know, I think you can, you can, you can do better. Let's see if you can do that. But, but there is recognition there for the employees. Also, the executive gets to look further down in the organization. And I think, equally important, employees who might not normally get to see the executive have the chance to be in the room with them in a working environment and develop that level of trust uh, that they might not have. Communication's also addressed in the, in the meetings. Yep. You know, most projects that I've been involved with, and even a lot of companies, start off with silos. And breaking down those silos and getting the whole team trying to meet a common objective or pushing in the same direction has been a key outcome of those meetings. I I think RLG has done a particularly good job of that. Finally, uh, identifying what the strengths and weaknesses are of the project at any point in time, making decisions based on that, uh, including workarounds or providing help where it's needed to to get to a successful project is the most important item that's come out of those meetings
1: Mm, wow great insights and i really like that point around silo management or breaking down the silos we find that most functions or areas are getting really efficient within their function and then this is an opportunity the boardwalk is an opportunity with the plant manager or the executive to look at the big picture and the whole picture and break down some of those silos so great thoughts um Kevin thanks Uh, really appreciate those insights anything else about meeting management or continuous improvement that you want to comment on before we wrap up
0: well I I would just uh, maybe an an admonition and it's this remember if you're having a meeting only because it's on your calendar it's probably going to be a waste of time think about canceling it if that's the case and I would think about canceling the meeting if you don't get pre-read materials ahead of time. You know, discipline's a good thing, and if you can have a good meeting, you'll all be a whole lot better off.
1: Wow, excellent advice. Cancel a meeting, see what that does to the corporate culture. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, excellent advice. Really appreciate you joining us on giving us the executive perspective, and have a great day.
0: All right, thanks, Rick.
1: Our next guest is Don Telfer from RLG International. Don is an MBA graduate from Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and has been with RLG for over 20 years. Don also has the distinction of being a two-time Olympian for Canada in the sport of rowing, so he knows a little bit about performance excellence. As an RLG employee, he has been all over the world on various projects and most recently on large capital projects. Hey, Don, welcome to the podcast. How are you today and where are you today?
2: Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Um, Calling in from Calgary. Uh, that's my hometown. That's where I was actually born and raised. So happy to be here and, and speak to uh, effective meetings with you today.
1: Well, I appreciate you being on, Don, and and um, describe for me as we get started the very best capital project meeting
2: you've ever seen, and why was it great? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, I have to go back a couple of years. It was a capital project, and it was really because the contractor. Uh, their input to that meeting was a one-page document. It was was printed out on 11 by 17 sheet of paper. It was Excel-based, but it had all the key performance indicators or KPIs that you could possibly look at that that were really important for that overall project, including safety, productivity, uh, production, quality. It even talked about hours lost to non-productive time. It was all there encapsulated on one sheet and attached to those KPIs uh, were those traffic lights. So if you're on plan, you had a green circle beside it. If you were falling off a little bit, it had an amber or yellow. And then if you were really off by, let's say, more than 10%, you had a red circle. And really what made that meeting powerful between the contractor and the client was the conversation focused on that management by exception. So. The client had probably about a four hour lead time uh, to pre-read and look at at the report, the weekly report. And so then they could sit here and formulate their questions and say, "Okay, what's happening here? Why did we go from green to yellow? Or why did we actually move from yellow to green? Understand the dynamics that's happening out at site. And so it was a really tight, tight meeting where you didn't have to go through every single KPI, but you're focused on the areas that needed attention and where the color code uh, from that traffic light changed from amber to red or what have you. And it was just a fantastic meeting. Um, Action plans came out of that meeting. There was great follow up on it. It really generated a lot of accountability and engagement between the contractor and the client.
1: Oh, I love it. So many keys you've already mentioned just briefly in there. The importance of the pre-read, the importance of the right KPIs, I really liked your emphasis on exception reporting to help make it more efficient and tight and then of course the action and the follow-up from it okay so don if you were helping uh, coach clients to develop excellence in meeting performance what are some of the tools and processes you would suggest
2: you know there's a simple one that we use all the time rick and we just call it a terms of reference document Mm -hmm. and it really it is it's just a small sheet you could even put it on powerpoint I've kind of got six sections in there, but really the most important thing I think you need to do is really establish why are we meeting? What is Why are we putting this meeting together? What's its purpose? What are we hoping to achieve from that meeting? And, and that really kind of creates the groundwork and, and the framework with which then you ask the other questions that might be, okay, what are my inputs? So, you know, getting back to my previous example, the input to that great meeting was the fact that they had an amazing, Uh, dashboard, if you will, of all the relevant uh, KPIs that they needed to talk about on a weekly basis. So you really need to define what your inputs are, eventually what your outputs that could be, you know, an action tracker, that could be a risk register, Um, you really need to define that at the end of that meeting, what is everybody coming away or walking away with. Um, And then obviously, you need your agenda. Uh, I think people really appreciate knowing when they come into a recurring meeting, be it a daily or a weekly, that it is going to follow some sort of format um, and consistency. I think that's quite important. Um, and then finally, you've got some ground rules, and then the logistics: um, making sure that you have a start time, you've got the right AV equipment if that's necessary, uh, the rooms booked, and if it's a recurring meeting, that you have it booked, you know, uh, for a full year in advance. So you know, just having a document that kind of puts everything into perspective that everybody can follow is is one of the tools that I think really sets the foundation for a good meeting.
1: Yeah, and I've seen you use that and can actually score a meeting and give the meeting uh, chair or facilitator uh, scores and specific uh, feedback on where they can approve. Let me ask you two follow-ups on this, Don, and see what insights you have. One, I want to talk about engagement, but let me cover that one. Secondly, the first one is, You know, all of our clients are trying to simplify and even shorten meetings and or uh, drop meetings um, by getting really clear and their terms of reference and why they're meeting. Have you seen that happen? Have you seen actually meetings get shorter or some meetings combined together or even dropping some meetings to help, you know, our, our, these uh, executives that are in seemingly meetings all day. Have you seen simplification happen as a result of getting clear?
2: You know that's a, that too is a great question, Rick. And yes, we have. Um, in one capital project, as they moved through the project, they realized they were seeing some duplication or redundancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the meetings were actually becoming shorter in time because they were becoming tighter and the uh, they weren't going over time. And so, yeah, when you look at you look at your overall operating rhythm for a week, and you can look at project managers in a capital project and they're inundated with meetings and that takes up so much valuable time away from what maybe what they need to do a lot of times you're pulling superintendents and supervisors off the field or out of the field off the site to attend these meetings when they actually should be out in the field so even having the term of reference puts some really structure to that and at the end of it you do become tighter Um, they become more efficient so that originally you might have had an hour meeting and you cut that to half an hour and that is so valuable to all the participants of that meeting when they come on board Um, so yeah it's really important i think to have a framework use a tool of reference um, but then also come back and and challenge it to say hey do we still need to meet on a weekly basis maybe we can meet on a a bi-weekly basis Um, maybe we can shorten it up from an hour to 45 minutes you know, I think everybody can can lean in and engage to make any meeting more powerful and efficient and more effective in the long run. So it's it's really having the courage just to ask those questions um, as you move forward.
1: Yeah, great points. Yeah, I remember, to your point, one of our first turnaround projects many years ago in Pascagoula, Mississippi, where the daily nine o'clock meeting, the management meeting where they reviewed the work that was done the last 24 hours, uh, by doing the things you talked about here and getting really crystal clear on S-curve reporting and, <clears throat> excuse me, in the preparation that went into the meeting, it went from an hour to a half an hour. When we first arrived, it was literally reading out work orders and where they were in the work order. And then to get it in a half an hour, it was crisp reporting by area, by contractor, on an S-curve and a percent complete. And uh, it really gave people a lot more time to either get back out to work uh, and or be more effective for the rest of their day. So great point, put some structure to it. So Don, the other part I wanted to pick up on is engagement. And I remember many years ago in Alaska, you were one of the first ones to really highlight this, uh, the power of engagement in a meeting could really transform the safety and performance culture by uh, getting management and leadership to really getting the frontline involved. And I even remember a leader called Axel. Uh, tell us about that story and their morning toolboxes. Kind of paint us a picture before and then after, and then some of the performance changes, if you don't mind.
2: Sure, not at all. Um, so it was a it was a pre job meeting. Uh, they gathered in in a you know, actually their meeting space was uh, kind of the kitchen area to this camp, the drilling camp that they were in. And so the driller would come down, and he was going to have his meeting every morning. Like 6 a.m., or
1: what time was it? Yeah, yeah, it was
2: 6 a.m. in the morning. It was early. Uh, His crew of, I think there were 11, uh, his crew size was 11 people. They come down, and they're sitting around two round tables uh, within this small kitchen area. And as I sat there watching and observing the first meeting, it was quite interesting because the driller was having a conversation really a one-on-one conversation with his motorman who's kind of his key right-hand guy and as I looked around the room there were you know three guys that were you know catching up on additional sleep one guy was looking <laughs> at the TV up on the wall even though the sound was turned off and then three other guys were watching the, the cook get their breakfast ready for thing and uh, for for breakfast and so when you looked at it there's no engagement and all these workers are about to walk, out of that kitchen when they were finished their breakfast and walk into one of the more dangerous environments you could possibly go in on a rigged floor. And so when the client really asked us, I want you to engage the hearts and minds of these people around safety, it was just it was like a aha, aha moment for me and crystal clear around, wow, these guys are not engaged. Um, they may have quickly gone through a procedure that they're going to apply on the rigged floor that day. But there was no conversation around, Okay, what what kind of risks are you going to be exposed to and what are you going to do to mitigate or eliminate those risks? And so just through the coaching and then as we talked about, as you mentioned previously, you know, scoring a meeting, he actually created a scorecard for Axel, the driller, um, on how he's going to engage those people. And so within two weeks of giving him feedback, he was able to engage each one of those 11 people around the table to say, hey, Joe, you're going to be up on the rig floor today. What risks are you going to be exposed to uh, as you do this certain process or this certain task? And what are you going to do to mitigate or eliminate those? And so all of a sudden, everybody around those two tables were fully aware that at some point in time in that meeting, they're going to be called upon to answer questions from their drillers. And so it really brought everybody back into the meeting yeah. to hear exactly what they were going to do, what the risks were, and how they're going to mitigate or eliminate those risks. And so the, the effect was a profound. Um, their safety incidents, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to break it down in terms of uh, near misses or first aids or anything, but their overall incident rate was cut, I think, by at least 50%. Yeah. And as well, their efficiency went up. And, and we were focused on safety, and yet their productivity and efficiency went up. And that to me was just around being engaged to exactly what is it that we're going to complete or try to complete in the next 12 hours when we get on that big floor.
1: Well, yeah, well said. I, I can hear to this day Gary Christman and Steve Rosberg saying capture the hearts and minds of the people and that, that engagement will lead to significant performance improvement. So uh, thank you, Don, for that example. Yeah, oh, it was great. Yeah, it was a great experience. So let's let's go back to Frontline at Capital Projects for a minute and break it down in as simple as terms as you can. What type of discussions will drive frontline alignment and productivity?
2: Uh, that's another great question, Rick. It really comes down to um, uh, making performance visible. I think most people always want to know how they're doing, where they stand, what's expected of me. And so when you're in a capital project or frontline engagement, it's it's actually helping them understand to say, here we have a schedule, we have certain milestones milestones, excuse me. And in order to meet that milestone, we need to get this certain chunk of work done. Now that could be pouring a certain amount of cubic meters of concrete, or that could be erecting so many tons of steel. But and on a weekly basis, I think the workers need to know, here's what's expected to maintain the schedule and meet the milestones that we need to do. So that schedule, or we call it a performance board, and we actually put it out at site, right where the people are working in a high traffic area, so they can walk by and see on a daily basis, wow, here's what we need to get done today, uh, and here's what's going to get done tomorrow. And by engaging them, and let's say at the end of the day, I would have a meeting between the superintendent and the foreman, and actually put what was our actual performance against what that plan was for the day. And then having a quick conversation and say, okay, based on that result, did we were we ahead of our plan? Are we on plan? Are we a bit behind? And start formulating and say, okay, what does tomorrow look like? And also identifying the um, risks or, or things that we need to get out of the way. Uh, in order to achieve or overachieve the next day. So that could be fully aware of, hey, we've got great weather tomorrow. There's no issues. Uh, we can go ahead as planned, or you know what, we're going to have extremely high winds that might impact our crane operations. So what are we going to do in lieu of? It's kind of having a contingency plan. But it really is having a performance board that the workers can sit here and look at and see, here's what ex- is expected of me today or tomorrow or the next day and then actually seeing the results behind that and getting recognition for it um, or helping build the, a different plan, if you will, if there are certain situa- situations that arise that need to be corrected. Um, so it's really engaging and it's just making performance visible. And I know the frontline really, really appreciate that.
1: Well, I think you've shared the last two. This example, if I remember right, Don, you correct me if I'm wrong, There's. I mean, in the Axel example, it was one performance board and and 11 people. And this one you're talking about here was 75 performance boards. And as they add thousands of workers, this summer, going up to something like 140. And it seems kind of a simple idea of keeping performance visible and having these powerful conversations. But can imagine the complexity when you've got 75 of those going and then trying to keep everybody on the same page and aligned with resources and gets to be uh, quite a complicating task, but uh, I know that was uh, that's going well. But yeah, so it's scalable. These principles we're talking about work with 11 people and work with 20,000 people as well. So anyhow, Donnie, great insights, really appreciate you being on today. Any other things you wanna to say to our listeners before we close?
2: Yeah, I just, I want, I want everybody to always keep an open mind and know that meetings are, they're dynamic, they're not static. And I think it's, uh, it behooves both the meeting chair or the participants to to lean in and say, you know what, I think we could be more efficient or effective in this meeting. And having that ability to actually shape it, uh, the terms of reference document that we talked about earlier is a fantastic framework with which, with which to start that conversation. But even once that's in place, I think you need to uh, every so often on a regular uh, scripted basis every month, let's say, let's go back and let's just ask, is the meeting working well? Is there anything we can do to improve it, make it better? Uh, can we actually tighten it up and make it shorter? Um, meetings should be dynamic and they should always uh, try to be better and better because people's time is so valuable. And... And that's it's so important that they, when they do come to a meeting, that it's its efficient, it's effective, and they're able to, to leave knowing full well that they've got accountability and they've got action plans to go forward.
1: Great points, Donnie. I uh, really appreciate you being on the podcast today.
2: Oh, I and holy you smokes, being here, Rick.
1: you got on the word behoove. That's <laughs> uh, so glad you fit that in. <laughs> Uh, But no, seriously, really appreciate your insights and based on the expertise and experiences you've had around the world. So let's finish this podcast where we begin. Our premise was the quality and quantity of your meetings dictates the culture and results of your organization. We looked at the research to show that many of us spend up to 50% of our time in meetings. And the research also showed that 37% of those meetings are a waste of time. We looked at uh, Google's research on Project Aristotle that showed that leaders, teams, and meeting dynamics make a huge difference to performance and culture. Kevin Brown reinforced the importance of preparedness, honesty, and a clear purpose to each meeting. Don Telfer from RLG International reinforced the importance of having clear terms of reference and meeting structure and the importance of strong engagement of all participants in a meeting. I would summarize the podcast with the following as a leader, you must consistently drive effective communication and decision-making meetings must be deliberate and intentional. Your organizational rhythm should value purpose over habit and effectiveness over efficiency. Again, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us on the podcast. Please subscribe and share this podcast with other industry professionals. Let's all make a step change in meeting and team effectiveness. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.